Psalm 25, and we're just going to read uh, the whole thing. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me. For the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right, and he teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being, and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes and with what, hate, with what violent hatred they hate me. Oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. Let's pray. Father, we, we come here today to hear your word, that you would do a mighty work through your word, by your word, in our hearts. I pray that you would show up, that you would change just by degree our hearts so that we may understand your gospel more clearly and that we may love you more deeply and love others more deeply. The only way this happens is, is if you show up, if you, by your spirit and by your grace, help us. And so that's what we ask for. Would you show up and help us? And it's in Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Hello? Jake, there's something under the house and it's coming up through the pipes in the bathtub. I don't know what to do. Whoa, whoa, what? What's going on? I don't know, but it's gonna eat me. And if it eats me, I don't know what I'm gonna do. It's gonna, I'm gonna be so mad at you. Well, what do you mean? What's going on? You left that board off the crawl space and now something is under the house and it's all your fault. You see, a few weeks earlier, I had crawled under the house to fix a hole on the siding, um, and so Leah told me to, to, to put the boards back so that no animals could get under the house. Um, 
I'm so sorry, baby. I'm, I'm coming home right now. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, I'm, I'll be there in a minute. You better, you better come fix this mess you've made. Um, I'm doing a terrible rendition of Leah, by the way, if, if, you, if you know Leah. Um, she was up here. Her voice sounds amazing, not like mine. Um, so I go home. Nothing's coming up through the pipes. There's not even a sound to be heard. Um, so in that moment, I had a choice to make. One, go cover the hole. Or two, what are the odds that that same animal gets back under our house? There's this you know, one house in this big neighborhood um, again, so it's probably just a random thing. Let's, let's just leave it. Well, later that night, somewhere around 3 or 4 a.m., I had just hit my, um, my deep sleep. I was having a wonderful dream, probably about eating cookie dough. Um, when I hear just a, a faint scratching coming from the bathroom, I'm, like, I'm, I'm starting to come to when I get a swift punch right in my chest. And I was like, ah! And I just darted toward the door, and I, I was a little bit freaking out. It was Leah. It wasn't the animal. But I, I ran to the door, and I just I freaked out, so I just grabbed the door frame, and I was like, ah! I didn't know what, what was going on. Uh, needless to say, the animal came back, um, and Leah was a little upset because she had asked me a few times. But here's the thing. I had a choice to make um, between a hard path and an easy path, and I chose the stupid path. I mean, the, the easy path. But now, if, if we are honest, we can all do this. With our spouse, we can choose to sit down and ask questions about their day and really go after their heart, but we choose to watch TV instead. With our kids, we can choose to explain to them why we are disciplining them and help them to understand what it is we expect of them for the thousandth time, but we choose to yell and spank and discipline out of our anger and frustration. With our friends, we can choose to talk to them about the sin issue that we just saw in their life, but we choose to let them go on in it because eh, that'd be a little awkward. With our work at, at our job, we can choose uh, to do the job according to the rule, but we choose the faster and less stressful way that's actually against company policy. I mean, everybody's doing it. We are constantly bombarded in our lives with choices to make, but we are also being constantly bombarded by an enemy who is great at deceiving. So what seems to be the right choice in the moment? I mean, is it really? And then so many things make the easy path seem more enticing. Oh, it's going to be um, like I can be lazy. I don't have to go and do that. So many factors are in play when it comes to choosing a path but it's one of the most important things we do because Matthew 7:13 says for the gate is narrow and the way the path is hard that leads to life everlasting eternal life now this is what david knows this is what he writes about just i mean just look at verse 4 Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. Like he gets it. He knows that there is one path that leads to life, and he wants that life. I want that life. We in this room, we want that life. So how do we get it? Well, God's promise to you and to me out of Psalm 25 is that if we fear God and keep his covenant, then he will make known to us his path, and that path will be one of steadfast love, faithfulness, and soul-level well-being 
all the way to eternity. Just look at verse 10. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. And then if you skip down to verse 12, who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being. So then the question becomes, who is the man that fears the Lord and keeps his covenant? Because that's where we need to be. Now, to, to fear the Lord, just to put it into a little bit of perspective, to fear the Lord is not to be afraid of him, uh, but more to stand in awe of his majesty and his power and his justice and his mercy, to see God in all of his glory and then respond to him appropriately, to humble ourselves before him, to adore him, and to keep his covenant simply means to obey God's word. So, then the question becomes, how can we fear the Lord and obey his word? What does this look like in my life? Because the one who does this gets eternal life and everlasting life. The one who does this gets those things. I want that. Well, from Psalm 25, those who fear the Lord and keep his covenant do so in three ways. They trust God, they wait on God, and they petition God. They trust God over themselves or anything. They wait on God's timing and wisdom over their own, and they petition and pray and plead and bother and annoy God continually until God moves. If we fear God in these three ways, then the promise is from Psalm 25 that we will be instructed by God onto the path of love, faithfulness, and well-being all the way to eternal life with him in heaven. So first, we trust. Take a look at verse one. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. The first way in which we fear God and keep his covenant is to simply trust in him. Or another way to say it is have faith. But faith in what? Because, I mean, we're limited in time limited in energy, limited in knowledge. We cannot know the right path to take for thousands of reasons. We must have faith in a God who is all-knowing, all-powerful, who can help. So right off the bat, what David is doing with these verses is it's like, I'm fighting for perspective. David's fighting by saying, it is in you I trust God, in you I place my faith, because if I trust in myself, I can only see so far, I can only go so far, think so far, feel so far. I need help from a divine being. I trust in you. I have faith in you. And David actually writes Psalm 25 in the middle of some chaos. It's toward the end of his life. He's, he's been a king for the longest time, um, but one of his sons is actually trying to kill him. He ran him out of his temple, ran him out of town and now he's fleeing for his life. And David, in his fleeing and his fear, is calling upon the one being who is not afraid and who has no reason to be. Now, this is, of course, David's way of, of honoring God, but um, it's also theology for David's own heart. Now, you and I must convince ourselves that God is the only one worthy of trust. When we walk around prayerless, we say with our lives that we trust ourselves more than God. 
in this fight against the enemy, the one we cannot even see, it's different than David. Like in America, we don't, for the most part, experience um, any physical enemies. But Ephesians 6, 12 says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We are at war with an enemy who eats our lunch daily, hourly, by the minute. We must trust in the Lord. Now, the Israelites were at war with the Philistines when a giant comes up on the scene. Uh, You might have heard of him. His name is Goliath. Um, When he came out to fight, the entire nation of Israel, like, oh, okay, we're leaving. They cowered in fear. They just ran away, except for one guy, our guy David. He volunteers to go fight the king, and the king's like, whoa, buddy, you're you're a little too small. Like, this isn't going to go well for you. Um, You're crazy. But David responds. He says, well, I killed a lion. I killed a bear. And the Lord who delivered me from these will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. David was not trusting in his own abilities, but in the Lord. David had his faith in the proper place. Now, in our marriage, we must have faith that God will take care of it all because we are not Superman, we are not Superwoman. We cannot. With our kids, we must trust that God will take care of them because we're not everywhere to be able to. At work, we must believe that God sees and will reward our efforts because our human boss surely is not everywhere to see all the things that we do. Does he even care? With our friends, we must trust that God will be uh, the ultimate friend to us so that we are not constantly disappointed by having faith in a human friend. Trusting in the Lord leads us to forsake trusting in anything else or anyone else because literally nothing or no one else has the power that God does. Why would we trust in anything else but God? Are you doing this? Are you trusting in your own ability or your wisdom? Where can you shift that trust to trust in God? So to fear God and keep his covenant in order that we may have eternal life, we must trust the unlimited God over ourselves. But we must also wait on the unlimited God. So wait, if you take a look at verse three. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. And then if you skip to verse five. For you, I, wait all the day long. And then look at verse 21. For you, I, for I wait for you. This idea of waiting in the Hebrew text actually holds a meaning of, of tense eagerness. So think of, think of a man um, waiting for his bride to, to walk down the aisle. Like he's waiting, that dude's eager, like he's ready. And so waiting means to accept God's timing and wisdom, not our own timing and wisdom. One day, Leah was trying to starve me. She said that we had to wait to eat a meal um, because we weren't sure if we were going to eat with her parents and they hadn't texted us back yet. Uh, so she told me that if, if you're really impatient, Jake, um, you can go and find a snack to eat. This was a joke. We had not been to the grocery store in at least two, three months. 
Um, so I, I was scrounging. I looked in the fridge, and I, we had nothing but a bowl of wrinkly tomatoes. And I was like, that's disgusting. No, thank you. Um, and then I, so I scrounged in again, and I'm looking in the cabinet, and I found this, this uh, can of garbanzo beans. I was like, hmm, okay. They got nothing. Um, I even, I kid you not, I just, I eyed the dog food for a minute. I was like, that looks better than garbanzo beans. Um, but I, I have a thing against wrinkly tomatoes. I just couldn't, so I figured, all right, garbanzo beans, um, just, they wouldn't be that bad if I added some seasoning. Um, so I opened the can and uh, added some seasoning to them and, uh, and went to town. But apparently, I did something wrong in Leah's eyes because later that day, she took to social media to vent about how crazy her husband was. So Jake literally ate a can of chickpeas for lunch today because we need to go to the grocery store. And I asked him what he put on him, and he was like, oh, just some seasoning. And I come into the kitchen, and I find this. What the heck? It was steak seasoning. I thought, man, anything on garbanzo beans would make it better. Um, so obviously, obviously, it's not the way to wait. Like, I could have just been patient. But so let's go back to our buddy David. David was anointed to become king over Israel because the king at the time was not honoring God. Uh, but David waited on the Lord for 21 years until he knew that it was time to come forward to take the throne. And then after David was anointed to be king, the king at the time um, became bitterly, bitterly envious of David and sought to kill him. Two times David had the upper hand on that king and even cut a piece of the king's robe um, just so he, so he could show the king, like, look, man, I, I could have killed you. And in the cave where they are, like, his men are like, do it, David, come on, man, do it. But David waited. David waited on the Lord. The complete opposite of David, um, other than myself, is uh, he, he was a man who accepted his own timing and wisdom, the king who was trying to kill David, Saul. One day, a man named Samuel, who was God's voice to his people, um, comes to Saul and he says, all right, man, you wait seven days. And in that time, I will come to you and show you what to do. But just look at what Saul does. 1 Samuel 13, verse 8 says, he waited seven days. So he's doing all right so far. The time appointed by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gagal. And the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, Bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. As soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him and greet him. Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, when I saw that the people were scattering from me and that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines had mustered at Michmash, I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. Saul didn't want to wait on the Lord's timing, so he made his own. Whereas David waited and waited and waited because he had a deep understanding that waiting on God was really the only true way that things were going to go well, Saul, when his world started to shake, forced himself to act. David, when he was being sought to be killed, waited on the Lord for salvation. When it comes to fights in our marriage, 
Are we waiting on God to give us the right words to say? Or are we trusting our own timing and wisdom, rushing to fix the problem out of impatience? When it comes to the discipline of our children, are we waiting on the Lord to see what course of action is best to take? Or do we act out of anger and frustration? When it comes to choosing a spouse or a job, are we waiting on the Lord? Or are we forcing ourselves into something because either we do not like to be alone or the thought of not having a job scares us? Where are you forcing yourself to go down a path that you have not waited on God to lead you on? Where can you wait? Because God's promise is, if we fear him by trusting and waiting on him, then he will instruct us in the way that we should choose, and that way will be one of love, faithfulness, and soul-level well-being all the way to eternal life. So we trust, we wait, but we also fear God by petitioning him. If you look at verse two, we're gonna skip through um, a few of them. But it's verse two. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. And then skip to verse four. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. Skip to verse six. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me. Skip to verse 11. Pardon my guilt, for it is great. Verse 16. Turn to me and be gracious to me. Verse 17. Bring me out of my distress. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. Oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame. Now, I kid you not, when I first read this, like to me, it sounded like a little kid. You know, kind of like, Dad, watch this. Dad, hey, Dad, I need your help. Hey, hey, Dad, Dad. Uh, but the cool thing is, like as, as childish and annoying and, and as bothersome as that sounds, the cool thing is it's supposed to be that way. God honors our petitioning of him. Look at Luke 18. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while, he refused. But afterward, he said to himself, though I neither fear God or, nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Even an unrighteous man gives in to per persistent petitioning. How much more so will our loving and gracious father? But notice, it takes petitioning. It takes some annoyance. It takes some over-the-top praying and pleading and begging. Um, for instance... We've had a toilet leak issue um, since moving into our new home about nine months ago. It just keeps, uh, every time I fix it, something goes wrong. Um, but you want to know how Leah gets me to get work done each time it goes wrong? Jake, have you fixed the toilet yet? 
hey, Jake, uh, what about the toilet? Is, is, it, is it fixed yet? Um, hey, are you going to fix that toilet on your day off? Oh, man, Jake, you spent all your time doing this. You really could have fixed that toilet. Man, Jake, it would be really nice if we had an extra toilet in the house, so on and so forth. But then even in the book of Daniel, Daniel is praying to God for 21 days straight. And finally, on the 21st day, God hears and answers his prayer. There was a, a war in the heavenlies that was disallowing uh, Daniel's prayer to be heard. And, and I don't... I don't have like, the exact time to get into that exactly, but, but petitioning gets stuff done. How do you know that you're petitioning God? Well, it's probably when you're annoying yourself over praying for the same thing over and over and over and over. And you're like, ah, is God even hearing me right now? That's how you know. Keep going. And just read through the Psalms. It is nonstop petitioning. And if you read a lot of them in the row, it actually gets kind of annoying to read. You're like, man, he's saying the same thing pretty much over and over again. Uh, but that's exactly the way our fearing God should look. If we had time to, to take our prayers and our thoughts and, and write them out, it should look a lot like that. It should look a lot like, the, well, I, I prayed for this for like six, seven years. Finally showed up, finally happened. David says, you're the only one who can fix this, so I am here. I'll be waiting. I trust in you. I'm petitioning you. I'm going to keep knocking. And when we find ourselves struggling with where to go or what to do, we should come to Psalm 25 and read the petitions, but add in our own mess. Add in what we have. So make me to know your ways, O Lord, in my marriage. Teach me your paths in the way I parent. Lead me in your truth because I don't know what, what is actually true. Remember your mercy because I know that I'm making wrong decisions in my life right now. Please don't remember my sins, but remember your love for me. Pardon my guilt because I cannot be a good friend with it burdening my soul. Turn to me, please, and guide me. Be gracious to me in where you are taking me, what you're taking me through. Bring me out of my distress that I led myself into by trusting myself. Forgive all of my sins. Remind me of your forgiveness. Guard my soul and deliver me from the thorns and thickets and the nets of the enemies that I find myself in because I did not fear you. We must petition. We must keep knocking. We must keep showing up and trusting and waiting and praying and pleading and begging God to show up and help us because that's literally the only way that things will happen. Do you fail to petition God? When was the last time you prayed about anything more than once? fear God, we must trust in and wait on and petition God nonstop. And the promise is, if we fear God and keep his covenant, then he will guide and direct our path, and that path will lead us to everlasting life. Everlasting life. But here's the bad news. You and I aren't capable of doing this. In the story of David and Goliath, you and I are not David. We're the Israelites cowering in fear. In the story of 
David and Saul, we are Saul forcibly acting on our own timing because we think that we know best. In the story of the woman knocking, we are the unrighteous judge who neither fears God or respects man. If we feared God perfectly, none of us would have any problems with any of the paths that we're on, but since we most certainly do, that means we fail to fear God and thus we will not make it to eternal life. There has to be another way. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Hebrews 5 verse 7 says this. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications, petitioning with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence, his fear of God. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Because of the perfect fear of God that Jesus had, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Jesus trusted the Father. Jesus trusted the Father with his life and even his death, taking on a cross in complete confidence that God was going to keep him. Jesus waited on God before any move he made, any conversation he had, any sermon he preached, anything he did. Jesus petitioned God by praying to him through the night, in the morning, all the time. Jesus feared God perfectly and kept God's covenant perfectly by trusting God perfectly, waiting on God perfectly, and petitioning him perfectly. So if you and I desire to be on the path to everlasting and eternal life, we're going to need someone who has been down that path on our behalf. There is no other way by which we make it. It is Jesus' life for us or our life for us. Only one leads to, to everlasting and eternal life. But look at the grace to us in, in verse 8. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. Verse 12. Him will he, God, instruct in the way he should choose. Verse 14. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. The one who does all of the work here, the one who instructs, leads, teaches, makes known, and even plucks us out of the net of the, of the enemy when we fail to fear God, it all happens by the hand of Jesus. Jesus is himself the path. When we cry out, as David has, for God to teach us his paths, God will direct us straight to Jesus. The only true path that leads to everlasting life was always Jesus. But notice just one more distinction. It says it's a path of, of steadfast love and faithfulness with soul-level well-being. That doesn't mention anything about life being easy not having a lot of money, having your wealth, having fun. Life is hard. 
marriage is hard, raising kids is hard, being a friend is hard. The way we are to go in all these areas of our lives is to fear God and keep his covenant, but it is hard. It's impossible. How can we do it? By leaning in to the only way by which we are able to. Jesus Christ. Because look at Galatians 3.22. But scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin so that what was promised, such as instructing in the way, being instructed in the way, being given through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. We are instructed in the way by faith in the one who is himself the way. We are instructed in the way by faith in the one who is himself the way. Now just just think about it hard. Because of Jesus, one day we will be able to look back at our path from every monumental failure to every success, all the times we were crying and alone, to all the times we were being held up, and we will see all of the ways that God led us, that God had us. The only way from here to eternity is in God's grace that sustains and keeps us. Now, we're going to celebrate this good news as a family uh, by taking the Lord's Supper together, by taking the body and the blood together. We are placing our trust and our faith in the only one who can do anything about anything at all. It is a reordering, a reshifting, a a fixing of our minds upon the only one who is able. So if you have placed your faith in Jesus as your only way to eternal life, then this celebration is for you. But if you are not a believer and a follower of Jesus, I ask that you remain in your seat on the basis of 1 Corinthians 11 that says you will be judged according to the the body and the blood that is not yours. But if this is you, there's a way. Don't let today slip through your fingers without placing your faith, your trust in a Savior. It's the only way. But, so for our celebration, here is our prayer. Father, forgive me for my lack of trust, patience, and petitioning but lead me into more and more faith in Jesus that I may endure on the path to everlasting life. One day, by this body and this blood only, we will be led on the path all the way to to everlasting life. When our last moment on this earth comes, we will be able to smile and know with absolute confidence that it was God who led us and persevered us and kept us. God promised so through his son. And it's all possible because of the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, He took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this 
as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your immense and immeasurable amounts of grace that you have lavished upon us in your son. That you looked down to earth, you looked down upon us and saw all of the different paths we were taking and saw how futile they were. And instead of leaving us, you stepped down into our lives to save us, to lead us on a path that that is going somewhere, that is going to you. We thank you for your great grace to us that says you will take care of us on that path. You are the one who does the work. God, would you continue to give us that grace? Would you continue to give us more faith in Jesus? That we may show up one day in the presence of you and get to glorify you and worship and praise you for eternity. We thank you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.